somebody shout hallelujah. Come on, let's say thank you, Lord. Come on, come on, give another hand. Lord, we, we could think of a thousand things to complain about, to be frustrated about. But in this moment, right now, we are thinking about all the different ways you have blessed us. We're thinking about all the gifts you have bestowed in our lives. And we just want to take a moment to say thank you. Come on, people of God. Come on, let's give them some more praise. Hallelujah. You've been so good to us. For your presence among us, we give you thanks. We give you praise. Come even closer now, if you would, and take this broken piece of flesh that you know so intimately well. All of its inadequacies. Fill me with your spirit and work a miracle. And bring a transformational word to every hearer, including to the one preaching. And we'll leave here ready to experience Thanksgiving in a new way. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, come on, let's give God another hand praise. Hallelujah. Open your Bibles, if you will, the two passages of Scripture. The first one is in Psalms 107. And the second one is in John chapter 6. But we'll start with Psalms 107, beginning with verse 1. Thank you for standing to indicate... Our reverence for the reading of God's Word. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Let's listen to the Word of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Somebody shout, for He is good. good. His faithfulness, His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others He has redeemed you from your enemies. For he has gathered the exiles from many lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless, hungry and thirsty. They nearly died. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he rescued them from their distress. He led them straight to safety, to a city where they could live. Let them praise the Lord for his great love. Someone shout, great love. And for the wonderful things he has done for them. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Somebody shout praise the Lord. Amen. Let's look at John chapter 6 beginning at verse 25. And I'm going to, the key verse is verse 35. So we're going to just skip through. Listen. Verse 25. They found him, Jesus that is, on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Verse 35. Jesus replied, I am, excuse me, verse 32. Jesus said, 
I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am. Somebody shout, I am. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. There is the reading. People of God say amen. Uh, please be seated. First of all, let me say good morning, ALCS. It's good to see you guys again. It's good to be back home again after uh, being away for three weeks. Praise God. And I want to uh, just celebrate and give God thanks and praise for the uh, pastoral team that did a fabulous job preaching through the nine gifts of the Spirit. Give God a hand, please. So let me just announce, uh, today we start a new series which I'm entitling, Discovering Jesus, the Great I Am. And uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, between chapter 6 and chapter 14, you'll find that uh, John presents Jesus as saying seven times, I am. And we're going to look at five of those great I am statements between now and the end of uh, Christmas. And so we look forward to that. Uh, let me give you a little homework for this week. First of all, I want to encourage you when you get home during the course of the week to read the entire Psalms 107. It's a fabulous Psalms. The themes that I will talk on today will be reflected throughout that Psalms. It'll enrich your week. Secondly, read the entire chapter of chapter 6. You actually can read ahead. You know I'm going to be working from 6 through 14 around these great I am statements. And so at towards the end of chapter 6, you'll find a statement that Jesus makes. Unless you eat my uh, flesh and drink my blood, you cannot uh, have eternal life. And when you read that, I want you to uh, think backwards from the communion that we do every month. Uh, where we commemorate the fact that God's, that Jesus gave his body broken on the cross and shed his blood, and that we participate in that through the act of communion, you'll have some insight into what he was uh, saying. And then I'm going to give you some more homework for Thanksgiving Day during the course of this message. Uh, will, you do home, will you do your homework? Just come on, give God a hand, praise. All right? We're, we want to be biblically literate. We want to... Preaching is not an entertainment moment, right? This is a teaching moment to help us draw closer and deeper in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you the subject for uh, this morning. With a loud voice, repeat after me, if you will. A fascinating encounter. Say it. Okay. All right. Last week, uh, I had a meeting with uh, some colleagues of mine, and we were working through what I saw at the moment was a colossal crisis that had occupied a significant portion of my time. At the same time, my wife, who, as you know, is a physician, was at the hospital that she works at, and she was working through a colossal, what she thought was a colossal crisis, uh, trying to help save someone's life, a significant crisis. When I left my meeting to get ready to go to the car, I got a uh, text from Rhonda, my wife, it simply said, Herman, 
Call me immediately. They can't find Lauren, my nine-year-old daughter. Now, many of you who are parents, I'm sure, can relate to the absolute horror that gripped me in that very moment. I'm sure you've been in a supermarket somewhere and you had your child and you looked up for a moment and looked back and they were gone. Or you were at an amusement park and uh, you're walking and you look back and you couldn't find them. Uh, you know all of the most horrible thoughts that race through your mind. All of those thoughts were racing through my mind as I was gripped with enormous fear. So I raced to my car, jumped in the car, started to drive as fast as I could to where Lauren was supposed to be. In the meantime, called Rhonda. She was a bit panicky, uh, explaining to me that Lauren didn't show up where she was supposed to show up at, and no one knew where she was. And then the call was interrupted. She clipped over and, and got the other call and I'm driving and praying and say, Lord, uh, I pr let that be some good news. And when she finally got back to me on the call, it felt like an eternity waiting. She finally got back to me. Uh, she said to me, uh, they found Lauren. And uh, for which we give God praise today. Let's celebrate that. Now, of course, Lauren was completely oblivious to all of this. Uh, <laughs> To prove that she has her father's genes, uh, she was supposed to be in one place. She ended up in another place uh, waiting for uh, us there. Just the fact is, she just got her daddy's genes. That's stuff daddy does all the time. So, so we couldn't be so upset with her. But the experience taught me something. I thought that I had a colossal crisis, and it was a real crisis that I was working with. I, it was all-consuming. My wife was dealing with a real crisis, all-consuming, where she was. And yet, when the call came through that Lauren was missing, those crises that seemed to be so huge began to shrink. And when I discovered that Lauren was okay, the enormous relief that came as a result reminded me of a basic truth. I don't care what crisis we are wrestling with. The fact of the matter is that in the middle of us wrestling with that crisis, God is still pouring an enormous degree of goodness in our lives. He is still blessing us in ways that we often overlook. And the fact of the matter is, no matter how big that colossal crisis was that I thought that I was dealing with, the fact of the matter is, God was still blessing me. I still had a healthy daughter. I have a healthy son. I have a roof over my head. I have a healthy, wonderful marriage. I have a great wife. I have a lot of blessings to be thankful for on this course of the weekend. And so do you. And so, shouting forth from my experience came the words of Psalms 107, uh, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His faithful love endures forever. And I want you to circle that. I'm going to come back to that uh, at the end of this message. I won't dig too deeply into that now. The next verse says, um, Has the Lord redeemed you? Well, let me ask you that question. Has the Lord redeemed you? Oh, you don't sound like you've redeemed. Come on, let me try it again. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then the verse says, speak out. 
the NIV version translates that. The new NIV version translates it uh, by saying, let the redeemed of the Lord tell your story. So I'm suggesting that on Thanksgiving Day, you pick the timing. Maybe it's while you're hanging out in the living room waiting on dinner to be cooked. Maybe it's just before, uh, while you're eating dinner. Maybe it's after you're eating. I don't care. But I'm suggesting that somewhere during the course of Thanksgiving Day with the folk you gather with, you find some time to share with them the amazing goodness that God continues to pour in your life. Share with them things about which you are thankful for. Share with them what it feels like to have had a fascinating encounter with God's goodness. Let me suggest three revelations come out of us thinking about what a fascinating encounter with God's goodness is. The first revelation is that in that encounter we experience a grace that resides. It's always there. Now, in our text, after it says, speak out, it goes on to say, uh, tell others how God has redeemed you from your enemies. Then it goes on to say some other important verses. But in for, first, let me give you the context. This psalm is written in response to the children of Israel who were in exile, now coming back home. But of course, the history of it was that the Babylonians and the Assyrians smashed into northern Israel and southern Israel in brutality and in war, uh, uh, killed people and enslaved people and brought them back to Assyria and Babylon. And some people ran away trying to get away from that and ran off into the wilderness uh, and escaped and, and barely lived in the wilderness. That's the history of this text. So now the text says this. Verse 3, it says... Uh, for he has gathered the exiles from many lands, east and west and north and south. Uh, and some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless, hungry and thirsty. They nearly died. Everybody say nearly. nearly. Right there in the word nearly is where God's grace abides. You see, they nearly died, but they didn't. You see, when you look at the nearlies or the almost experiences in your life, often more than not, that's right where God's grace resides. I nearly, somebody can testify to this, I nearly died because of an automobile accident or a motorcycle accident or because of a stroke or because of some other issue. Lying up in Stanford Hospital, I nearly died, but I didn't. I almost, somebody can say, lost my mind when that adult child of mine was standing up in my face getting smart with me. I almost but I didn't. Somebody shout grace. I nearly left the church and turned my back on organized religion. Thought that I had enough. I nearly, but I didn't. I almost walked out of that marriage and said, forget it. It's done. It's over. But I didn't. I nearly 
took my life in the deepest, darkest moment of depression. But somehow grace entered and I didn't. I almost gave up and called it quits. But I didn't, and I'm here today to give God praise for the grace that resides in the nearly and the almost. Tell somebody, almost. But I didn't. At Thanksgiving, I want you to spend some time telling the people around you about the nearly and the almost. Right where grace resides. The second thing that comes to mind is that not only does grace reside, but grace provides. It's a fascinating uh, story, a part of the history of Thanksgiving in America. Most of the children knows this part of the story in the early 1600s when the first folk got here from Europe. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know how to survive in this new land. But the Native Americans had been here for centuries. And in order for the folk to have survived the winter, the Native Americans who knew how to store food fed them out of their food storage. And then when the spring came, the Native Americans taught these individuals how to fish and how to plant crops that would actually grow here. So on the other side of their first harvest, these folk who often are called pilgrims, uh, about 50 plus of them joined with more than 90 plus Native Americans in the space. And they inaugurated the first event of Thanksgiving and prayer. And in that first event of Thanksgiving and prayer, here's what they were actually giving God thanks and praise for. They were, they were, they were, they were thinking about the fact that somehow they had survived what they thought they never would survive. But actually, it wasn't somehow. How they survived was pretty clear. Somebody say, grace provides. I told you all a number of weeks ago that God has a peculiar practice of running ahead in our future and implanting a provision of grace that anticipates our landing on the shore of a crisis long before we get there. And in this case, God has centuries earlier put the Native Americans in place, taught them how to handle life here so that when these folks showed up on the shore of their crisis, they found that there was a provision of grace already in place. That's how they survived what they thought they would never survive. That's what's going on here in the text. I think it's verse 4 that said uh, that they cried out, Lord, help and they cried out of their trouble and the Lord rescued them from their distress and he led them straight to a place of safety, to a city where they would live. The suggesting of the text is that God had already prepared a city to receive the people even while they were in trouble, a provision of grace. So I just want to tell you, I know there's some folk here this, this right now who a year ago, you were sitting in a similar service and you didn't know how you were going to survive a year later. 
someone had died that you dearly loved and you just couldn't imagine yourself six months down the road surviving that grief. Uh, uh, you were just in a divorce court and you couldn't imagine how a year later uh, you would survive that grief. You, you, you were sick and had a bad diagnosis and you couldn't imagine how a year later you would be here worshiping today. And yet you are here today. You have survived what you thought you never would survive. So on Thanksgiving Day, I want you to identify God's advanced provisions of grace that he has placed in your life. Some of you survived the grief and the loss of a relationship because God brought a friend or a small group into your life and they stayed on the phone with you and they visited you and they let you talk to them hours after hours, days on days and week upon week and they, and they, and they grieved with you through that process. Somebody here has been unemployed for almost two years and you say, I didn't think I could make it this long. But you remember, you know, there's something called an unemployment check. That's a provision of grace from God. Come on now. And then there are other provisions God has brought. And you're here celebrating today. Somebody says, well, I've been struggling with cancer. And, and, and I've had chemo treatment and all of that. I don't think I have much to be thankful for on Thanksgiving Day. But let me just tell you. Uh, you said I've been in and out of hospitals. I hear that. But let me just tell you. God has blessed you to be here in America in this region with some of the best hospitals in the world, with some of the best, come on now, care facilities and doctors and nurses, and you can get chemo treatment. That's a provision of grace. Come on now, and Medicaid and Medicare and all these things are in place. Those are provisions of grace that you ought to give God praise for. Somebody may be thinking, I had a knee replacement and I'm not going to be able to cook Thanksgiving dinner like I normally cook. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be laid up. But, but, but wait a moment. Think about the provision of grace. All of those young people and the family members who are now caring for you, bringing things to you, taking care of you, blessing you, cooking for you now and bringing it to you. Come on now. That's God's provision of grace. We survive, but we think we never can survive because God is good. And part of his goodness is he always runs ahead and puts in place a provision of grace that anticipates our crisis. Isn't that great? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is. The last point here. Not only does God's grace resides in the nearlies and the almost, and his grace provides as he runs ahead in our future and makes provisions that anticipates our arrival in a crisis. But his love survives. Everybody say, his love survives. Now, in the last two verses here, Aiden... Eight and nine. Interesting stuff happens. In eight it says, because of everything I've just said, the psalmist declares, let the people praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done. Now circle that word, great love. Everybody say great love. We'll get back to that in just a minute. 
in Exodus chapter 3, culminating at verse 14, there's a discussion between Moses and God. Moses has come, God has come to Moses and has confirmed that God has called him to lead the people of Israel. The final confirmation is that Moses is to go back and tell the elders what God has said. And the elders are to line up with that and, and, and speak into that confirmation. And Moses says to God, God, when I go back to these elders, who should I tell them sent me so they would believe me? And God's answer was, tell them I am who I am has sent you. Everybody say, I am. The great I am, ultimately. And the root word that translates I am ultimately translates into the personal name which we call the Lord. So really, you could read Psalms 107 verse 1 this way. Give thanks to the great I am. For he is good. And his love endures forever. John says that the great I am that's talked about in Psalms 107 was made flesh and dwelled among us. And his name is Jesus. And in verse, in the first half of chapter 6, we discover that Jesus takes five loaves of bread and two fishes and feeds more than 5,000 people. And in that moment, uh, Jesus points out, really, that everybody around him missed what they should have saw. What they should have seen is, here is the great I am among us. But what they saw was not who he is, but what he did. What they saw was a Walmart. A lot of us have a relationship with God like Walmart. You know, we, we think God has a department for healing. God has a department for relationships. God has a department for jobs that we need. God has all these departments. And we go, we go to God. We go to Walmart because we need to shop in his department for relationships. Come on now. Some, somebody said, God, I appreciate the, the, the first two husbands you gave me, but they didn't work. I need a third one. Somebody say, I'm bringing my wife back to trade her in. I want a new one. <laughs> You've heard the story. I think I've told you before. It's a fascinating story. A little boy wins an opportunity for a shopping spree. He has 60 seconds, one minute, to push a basket and get as anything as much in it as he could get. His family has gathered with him, organized, and created a strategy. Told him where to go, how to get there. And on this occasion, everybody's there. Family is there. Sister, brother, parents. Crowd is around. TV cameras. The manager of the store. The owner of the store. Everybody's there. And the, 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 the guy says, go. And the boy freezes. Clock is ticking. Gets to 30 seconds. He's still frozen. And the sister said, I know you. You just can't get nothing right. You're supposed to go. Everybody shout, go, go, go. Clock is ticking. 20 seconds. He's frozen. Go, go, go. 15 seconds. Finally, 
He tears and runs down the aisle with that basket, pushing it as fast as he can. He runs right into the guy standing at the very end. Hits him. He falls into the basket. Turns out to be the owner of the store. Turns around. Comes back across the line just in time before the clock ended. And his sister started fussing at you can't get nothing right. You you ran into somebody, hit him in the back. He's the owner of the oh, I can't believe you love that. The little boy said, I know what I was doing. If I've got the owner, I got everything in the store. Somebody shout hallelujah. If you've got God, you've got everything in the kingdom. If you've got God, you've got the king, and you've got all that comes with him. But the reverse is not true. It's possible for you to shop in Walmart week after week and month after month and never meet the owner, Mr. Walton. Just because you buy doesn't mean you meet the owner. But if you've got the owner, you've got everything. Here's what God is dealing with in that conversation that he's having with these fellas. He says, in verse 2, he says, some of y'all gathered around the miracle of the, of, of the 5,000 because you saw, verse 2, the miracles of the healing. And you want me to heal you. I'm happy to heal some of you, but I need you to know this. Whenever I heal you, there's an expiration date on the healing. Because everybody he heals ultimately dies. And some of y'all are only with me, verse 26, because I fed you. And you're trying to get more perishable things from me, like food and husbands and jobs and dreams fulfilled. And you know what? I'm good for that. I'm happy to bless you with food and husbands and jobs and dreams. But I just want you to know, every one of those blessings, there's an expiration date. Because at the end of the day, we're going to leave all that stuff. He said, what you ought to be doing, verse 27, is putting your energies not in perishable things, but in eternal things. You ought to be trying to acquire that which has no expiration date. Y'all listening to me? And so, and so, and so, and so, then he talks about who he is. He says, I am. Everybody say, I am. I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And you know what bread does? It feeds you. It nourishes you. uh, It gives you life and energy. And what Jesus is saying is that you have put your identity in the wrong places, in food, in husbands, in money, in careers, and in dreams, and in popularity, and in power. But I'm here to tell you that there is a place in you, your spiritual self, your soul, come on now, that popularity can't feed, that that, that sex can't touch, that the human touch can't can't bless, come on, that money can't reach, that that power can't handle. I'll prove it to you. Elvis Presley and Michael Jackson, at the height of their careers, still ended up messing up and taking their lives. Why? Because there's a deep place inside that their power and their popularity could not minister to. But God says, 
I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And if you put your identity in me, your purpose in me, I'll reach beyond the perishable. And I'll leave you with stuff that has no expiration date. All right, let me prove it from the text. I'm almost finished. Back to verse 1, Psalms 107. Give thanks. One translation is, erupt in thanksgiving for the great I am. For he is good. When the text says that God is good, it's not just talking about what God does. It's talking about who God is. God is by nature good. That's why when all hell is breaking loose in your life, but if God is in your life, you can still say God is. All right, next verse. Watch it. Give thanks to the great I am for God is good. His faithful love. Stop. Endures. Everybody say endures. Stop right there. Underline those two words. The biblical scholars have tried to figure out how to communicate to you the power of what they've tried to say. And not any of them really fully get, have gotten it, but they've struggled with it. So you take that word that is translated faithful love. Well, when the King James Version translated it, they translated it mercy. Everybody say mercy. King James says his mercy endures. But when the Amplified Version scholars looked at it, they say it is mercy. But there's a little more than that. So they added mercy and loving kindness. Everybody say loving kindness. Well, when the NIV translators looked at it, they said what we're really trying to say is that there is a unique love now that's in God. He is love. First John 4, 8. So they simply say, His love. But then, the New Revised Standard Version translator said, Well, people might miss it at ALCF. If you just say that, they'll miss it. So we got to put an adjective to modify the noun. And so, and so they added, His steadfast. That means dependable. Everybody say dependable. Dependable. Love. But then the New Living Translation said, well, that's not quite relational enough. Because what's going on here is something relational between the noun and everybody else. And so that ALCF might get it, they, uh, the, the New Living Translation adds the word faithful. Faithful love. Everybody say faithful. But then the, the, the voice in one of the newest translations says, well, I think they still might not quite catch the relational deal going on between the love and them. So it adds the word loyal. Everybody say loyal. Well, but I can't quite fully understand what's going on there until I go to the word endures. Everybody say endures. When we read that, we think God's love lasts. Word endures me. Well, that's true. But it's saying something more than that. Because when you use the word endure, there's another nuance there. 
it means to go through difficult things. Come on. Patiently. And come out on the other side. Somebody say endures. It means to actually go through something. Somebody say endures. It actually means to not just go through it, but to survive it. Somebody say endures. Now I think you're ready to get what the writer is really trying to say. Uh, Give thanks to the great I am, God. He is good, not just what he does. Goodness is who he is. And his love, now, his love is not just what he does. He is love. And he's the kind of love, y'all ain't listening to me, that endures. Right? So what the writer is saying, that when you got God in your life, you've got a love that's loyal, a love that is dependable, a love that is trustworthy, y'all ain't listening, a love that will never run out on you and that will never abandon you. It's a love that will survive your stupidity. It's a love that will survive your sinfulness. It's a love that will survive your traumas. It's a love that will survive your chaos. It will never abandon you nor leave you. It stays with you for God is love. I'm the bread that comes down from heaven and I want to give you something that reaches deep that has no expiration date. God's walk with you, His love for you, survives. Doesn't keep you out of trouble, but it goes through the trouble with you. It survives. Doesn't always keep you out of the hospital, but it's in the hospital with you. Survive. Doesn't always keep you out of jail, but it's right in jail with you. Survive. Won't keep you out of the graveyard, but it'll go right through it with you. Survive. Well, let me wrap it up here. Because I don't think you still got it. Verse 2. Love endures forever. Then it says, has he redeemed you? Speak out. Tell others how he has redeemed you. Listen. From your what? Enemies. All right, now, in order to fully get this, you've got to draw a parallel line between that verse and Psalms 23. You remember verse 4. You know how it starts. I'm talking about... God, enduring love, the bread that comes from heaven. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And then the next verse, what does it say? Thou prepares a table before me in the presence of my what? All right, what are you saying? Well, I put all this together. I, when I think about Jesus, this is, this is the suggestion. I know some of y'all are here. You're in the valley right now. 
You're in an, you're in an in, in insurmountable crisis. You, you're in an isolated wasteland. You feel like you're there all by yourself, that there's nobody to love you, nobody to embrace you, nobody to support you. You feel like I'm just right here in this valley, dried out, drying out, thirsting to death. But God says you're not by yourself. Wait a moment, because when you see Jesus, he says, when I slipped from eternity to time, I took off my royal robe and I put on my servant robe. As a matter of fact, I joined the facility team of ALCF and I told you, get back, get back. But I said, but I'm looking at these enemies and look like they're going to take me. He said, don't worry about it. I got to set a table put for you. But why are you setting a table? I need you to take care of these enemies. No, no, no. Just, just be quiet. And he puts the tables up. He got his servant apron on. I'm talking about Jesus. Puts the table up. Puts a white cloth over it. And, and then he says, now what you're going to eat from this table is going to give you the provisions to handle your enemies. And said, well, what am I going to eat? Then Jesus lays down on the table. And he reminds you, God is love. And he says, now stop pointing to your enemies. Well, there's an enemy right there. It's sin. He says, well, you remember in me is a provision. If you confess your sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I've got forgiveness for your sins. Come on now. Point to another enemy. Well, it's temptation. Jesus says, well, don't you remember I said no temptation has come upon you except that which is common to every human being. And when you are tempted, I will make a way of escape for you. I'm a way out of no way. Point to another enemy. Financial ruin. Jesus says, didn't you hear my father speak to Paul? He says, I'll provide for your needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. I'm still a way out of no way. God, I've got something for that. What about mental illness? That's an enemy. Jesus said, didn't you hear me say, take whatever mind you got and put it in on, on, on high things where Christ is. And then declare with Jude, I know he's able to keep that which I've committed to his care until I return again. What about disaster? Well, didn't you hear me say, peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. I got something for that. Well, what about death? Well, didn't you hear me decry? Death, where is your stain? Grave, where is your victory? The stain of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God for the victory. Where? In Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Say hallelujah. I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. I'll feed you like nobody else can feed you and handle your enemies. That's why the psalm ends in verse 9 with these words. Let everybody praise the Lord for his great love. And the wonderful things he has done. Because the things he has done are meant to be hallways through which you walk through to get to him. And then it says in verse 9, for he satisfies your thirst 
and fills your hungry with good things. And all those things I pointed to, they have no expiration date. Forgiveness, no expiration date. Grace, no expiration date. Mercy, no expiration date. Peace, no expiration date. Eternal life, no expiration date. So give thanks to the Lord. For he is and his faithful love endures Give God a hand praise. Hallelujah. Stand on your feet.